Well, I'm back. I feel real good about myself, you know what I mean? So, well, not further delay. Welcome to Drawing Funny, where we talk tunes with some sketchy characters in the comics industry and fandom. I'm your host, Lynn Workman. I'm the ghost with the most, babe. Hey gang, it's officially been one year since I launched the Drawing Funny podcast, and in that time I've produced 28 full-length episodes, uh, one pilot episode, and one promo commercial. I've done a mix of guest interviews and conversations, and some solo shows as well. This will be another solo episode, and is the beginning of Season 2 for me. Don't you dare speak to others about me! It's definitely been a strange year. I myself am strange and unusual. Uh, some things are kind of back to normal, some things are very much not normal, and others, I, I don't know if they ever will be back to like what we consider to be normal. Everything seems to be pretty much back to normal, I think. As some of you may know, uh, before this show, I was doing the Rogues Radio podcast with my former uh, Bushy Tales partner, Dave Beatty. I want to welcome you here to the show. My name is Dave Beatty. I'm one of your hosts. For nearly the last 30 years, I've been a professional illustrator and graphic designer. I have worked on a lot of fun things that some people have heard of, such as Batman Incorporated, Justice League of America, and even Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. But enough about that. I did about 13 episodes of that show and left after we both started wanting different things from the podcast and how we were doing the show and just trying to, you know, get together to record. Dave, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. He continued on with the show, which later became Retro Rogues Live, a video podcast with his co-host Eric Alexander. Yes, hello everyone. I am Eric Alexander, also known as Bass God 14. That's Bass God 14, not Bass God. That's Bass God like a bass guitar. Uh, the show is still going on and is looking to change its format again, which is what happens to a podcast over time. I want to welcome you to the Retro Rogues Live. Please pay attention to our warning graphic. It states that the Retro Rogues Live show is intended for an adult audience and not intended for children under the age of 13. Parental discretion is advised. Cut it out! A child, for God's sakes. I'm sure once I can get out and about and talk to folks at events or just sit down over a cup of coffee or something stronger, uh, this podcast will evolve as well. I think we should keep it the way it is. There has definitely been some changes here, mostly on the audio end. Uh, I've been trying to you know, upgrade the mics and uh, kind of get a little better at audacity and, and the editing. Uh, there are some things I'd love to change or add, and I hope to on this upcoming season. Uh, some things I'm hoping to just kind of let slide. Uh, it, it's, I'm going to cut out as many ums and ahs as I can in as much you know dead air space, just so the conversations flow better and it's an easier listen for uh, you, the audience. But for me, the editor, there's going to be some uh, conversations where I just, I'm just going to let little things slide here and there. Save me some time on, on the back end there. That is why I won't do two shows a night anymore, babe. I won't. I won't do. I started listening to podcasts while I worked on Bushy Tales or at my Monument Day job. Uh, early 2000s. Not exactly sure of the dates, uh, but I know that shows like Comic Geek Speak, uh, Indie Spinner Rack, Comic News Insider, 
and others had been around for a bit, but they were all still pretty much in their infancy, uh, maybe their first year or two of uh, doing a show. Are you the guys hiding out in the attic? I think my friend and fellow MSCA or Jason Nagan told me about CGS, and listening to that show led to others, and uh, many of my favorite podcasts and new uh, comic creators I found out through those early uh, uh, CGS podcasts and, and others, like Andy Spinnerack and uh, Comic News Insider. Not bad, not bad. I've been a guest on a few podcasts over the years, uh, either over Skype or in person at conventions, but I've shied away from producing one for years because I just thought the tech was way over my head. And maybe at the time it was. <laughs> Save that guy for later. Huh? My wife and I would like to ask you a couple of questions. Sure, 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 sure. go ahead. Shoot. Well, for instance, uh, what are your qualifications? Ah, well... I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? You think I'm qualified? Things have definitely become easier to allow just about anyone to not only be a pod person, but to you know host and promote those uh, shows online. The downside, and especially after the pandemic and lockdown, just about everyone has their own podcast, and I'm proof of that. All new arrivals report to waiting room number eight. Over the years, I've also enjoyed either listening to or being on uh, such podcasts as the Comic Book Page, Comic Book Central and Supergirl Radio, Geek of Steel, Comics Lab, the awesome comics podcast from over in England, Drawing Inspiration, Drawing from Experience, The Rocketeer Minute, Watchmen Minute, Design Matters, and uh, Comic Timing with Ian Levenstein, who's uh, the ringleader of the CGS podcast these days. It's showtime. And speaking of CGS... Uh, thanks to Peter Rios from The Daily Rios for the shout-out on his podcast and uh, playing my commercial. Drawing Funny is the podcast where we're talking tunes with some sketchy characters in the comics industry and fandom. I'm Lynn Workman, your host for this pandemic-inspired podcast. Join the comics conversation with some of my fellow Mid-South Cartoonist Association's Memphis Art Mafia or folks like Atomica and the hostage creator Sal Abenanti. Glad to do it. I mean, the exposure was nice. It wasn't like the next day I couldn't walk down the street. You know, I don't know if I would do it again right away. Jenny Zero, co-creator and party monster supreme, Dave Dwanch. Look, a little foreplay. I need to eat. I need to hydrate. <laughs> like, we'll get to it. Athena Voltaire, creator, Steve Bryant. Tell me of the tales beyond my, my lands. <laughs> and fangirl Wednesday's Nikki Workman. Yeah, I'm not waiting up to 3 o'clock in the morning for a new episode to drop. I'm old. I need sleep. And I have a job. Episodes can be found at drawingfunny.com or most anywhere you like to download podcasts. Stay tuned and keep drawing funny. Guys, what do you, what do you want me to tell you? I've said it a thousand times. No, I'm not Alex Ross. And then they still don't believe me. Some of the other podcasts I really enjoy are the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossrip podcast with Troy and Chris. We're here to see some ghosts. WTF with Mark Marin. 
my favorite murder. We're very unhappy. What did you expect? You're dead. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum and Under the Water Tower, which is a local Hernando podcast, mostly about news and local events and, you know, politics and that sort of thing. Trying to keep in, in the know of what's going on around my local hometown. I could live here. I know I'm forgetting some podcasts uh, off the top of my head, but you know, there's plenty of them out there, and there's there's a podcast on just about every subject. If there isn't, well, hey, start your own, right? Learn to throw your voice, fool your friends, fun and party. <gasps> my podcast was definitely pandemically inspired. Are we halfway to heaven? Are we halfway to hell? And how long is this going to last? For this episode, I've got some MSCA news, some industry news, and my thoughts on that news. And a few things to share that uh, have been going on in my life recently. First up, I had local artist Tony Parker text me about selling prints in our area. At first, I was a bit confused. Uh, I know Tony is Anthony Parker. And I know another artist named Tony Parker out west uh, from my time at the Phoenix Comic Con. Once I figured out which Tony it was... I understood the uh, local art scene question a lot better. I feel so stupid. Tony texted me. Hi, Lynn. Since you're very experienced as an artist-illustrator, I just want to say that's kind of questionable, I wanted to pick your brain about your experiences as an independent artist. Right now, I'm getting prints made of what I consider to be some of my best work to have ready for sale at some of the local sci-fi comic conventions. We both know that the Memphis and general Tennessee, Mississippi, Arkansas, Mid-South region is generally not a good market for illustration artists and that people aren't inclined to want to pay $10 or more for 11 by 17 prints. How have you coped with being in this market? Also, how does an illustrator get to where he or she can reach bigger outside markets without going through the trouble and experience of a so-called agent or rep? <laughs> I should remind you all that I am Delia's agent. I have consistently lost money on her work for years. What are some of the steps you're taking to really get your work beyond this geographical region? Your experience and insights will be greatly appreciated. Here's what I replied. To be honest, I've pretty much gotten out of trying to sell prints, especially around here. Why? Well, well you know, hey, you probably got your reasons. Uh... When we were self-publishing Bushy Tales back in the day, we did well at cons with them although not as well as some of the Wallow Prints booth tables. We mostly had our own original characters, but I think we may have had like maybe two prints, uh, an Iron Man and a Punisher one, but by then Dave had officially done work for Marvel. I think $10 was what we always charged for 11 by 17 or 11 by 14s, and I later had some 8.5 by 11 ones for around $5 each. I want to say... We would do three larger prints for $25 and do other merch bundles. At one time, I was probably doing one to two con appearances a month, then about every other month, then a few times a year. I wonder where a guy, an everyday Joe like myself, could find a little action. Had prints and original art in the Mid-South Con art show every year here. Uh, Some years I'd sell a few items, some years not so much. I stopped selling and setting up at cons in either spring of 2018 or 2019. It's all kind of fuzzy these days. It got to where I wasn't even making gas money anymore. 
you bunch of losers! How dare you hear out the professional always working! I had my black and white monster piece prints and scared silly cartoon ones, uh, some tees, canvas prints, sketch cards, sketch covers, and more. All pretty reasonably priced, or so I thought. I mean, honestly, there were some cons I couldn't even give things away. Hey, where'd you go? Hawk, hey, come on! You gotta work with me here! I'm just trying to cut a D! What do you want me to do? I tried selling through Ion's Gallery uh, on Main Street before they closed, but I had no sales there. Had some at the DeSoto Arts Council's gift shop, and at first would occasionally sell a few, but mostly only one to two a month or every other month. Sold some occasionally at MSAA art shows. See, I got these friends on the outside. Here's my problem. We really haven't done any of those in, in quite a while now. I usually didn't have any prints for my solo shows because I was working on the paintings right up to the week of the shows most times, and was lucky if I got any good professional shots of them to use for prints. Folks like Daniel and Donna Davis with Steam Crow Press in Phoenix, Arizona, seem to do great with print sales and online and at shows, and it's all their own stuff. They do elaborate booth setups, Kickstarter campaigns, and several cons and shows you know, each year. Well, during a normal year. Ah, good, good. I have seen folks use prints as add-on incentives for Kickstarter campaigns. I personally have never done a crowdfunding campaign, Nothing against them, they just came along after I was trying to self-publish. As we're finding out, social media algorithms don't really do as much as we thought for spreading the word. Unless you buy ads, and even then it's probably their bots that are the ones liking it. But come on! If they are in here, I don't want to scare them away. I do try to share my work on it and many how-to posts on my website. I tried selling sketch cards through my website, but started having troubles with notifications, and so I just started selling them and my sketch covers at the seller. It's been kind of hit or miss over the past couple years, you know, especially with the pandemic, but it has covered my comic purchases there many times. Ah, I understand, I understand. It's pretty easy. I drop them off to Jason or Neil at the shop, and if they sell them, well then uh, the shop gets a small consignment commission, and I get the rest as store credit. Again, it helps support mine and Nikki's comic habits. Attention, Kmart shoppers! I haven't tried Etsy, TeePublic, or other online places. I did Cafe Press years ago with Bushy Tails and Scared Silly, but had problems with them not sending checks for royalty commissions off my sales. I knew I had sold items because people had told me they'd bought them, plus I bought a few items just to see what the quality was and if they would send me a royalty check. I finally just closed my account shop with them. Hey, it's okay. You know why? I don't want to do business with you deadbeats anyway. Thank you. For the past year, I've been promoting myself and podcast on social media, and I've gotten some downloads and listeners, but no real feedback. I am utterly alone. A few years back, I was going to set up an art booth here in Hernando at the farmer's market on the weekends. But when I contacted them, they told me they didn't allow that sort of thing. Then, over the next couple of years, I start seeing more and more arts and crafts booths there. I just figured, eh, I don't want to deal with it. Especially since I don't do a lot with the uh, DeSoto Arts Council that much anymore. The only way he can be brought back is by calling his name three times. I've contacted the Monster Market pop-up shop, which is now virtual, uh, a few times the last couple of years. 
once even in person, and the last time I contacted them was back in May, either over Twitter or Facebook Messenger. I finally had them contact me last week to see if I wanted to have anything in the shop when they restock next week. I told them I wouldn't have much of anything on hand to put in the store right now, and it was a little too quick of a turnaround to get anything new, but to let me know for next year's shop. We'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Haven't had any new prints made for a while now, and either donated the majority of them to charity auctions or given them away as gifts, any that I had left. Donated all the remaining Bushy Tales comics to Comics and Collectibles in the cellar for a free comic book day in 2019, I think. Just needed to get them out of the garage. And again, I couldn't even give them away at shows anymore. God, this book is so stupid. I can't understand anything in there. Don't know if any of that helps to answer your questions, but that's my story. He said that I'd been very helpful, which I appreciated. And he said that he had been going through a local FedEx Kinko's to get prints done to avoid large print runs and said he's learned that getting any artwork made larger than 11 by 17 is also a no-go. I replied back, Good luck with it. Yeah, anything over 11 by 17 is a hard sale. It's difficult to travel with for the artists and customers. I've only bought a couple over the years from other artists and was always nervous about getting them back home safe. This is my art and it is dangerous! At shows, I always tried to have the clear sleeves to go with my prints, and I've seen others offer the hard plastic ones for a few extra bucks. Oh, aside here, uh, for anybody going to a con, you may want to just go ahead and pick up an extra uh, hard uh, sleeve for your prints, or carry a small uh, portfolio with you uh, to help keep everything uh, nice and, and flat and protected until you get back home. I keep all of my prints in big envelopes. Uh, those are inside a zip-up portfolio. Uh, but on my table, I keep all my prints in a fold-out kind of flat portfolio that has the pages in it. And that way people can flip through it uh, while they're looking you know, at my table. But for travel, the zip-up ones are, are really good. They're, they're kind of like a little mini suitcase of their own. <laughs> When I sell them, uh, I put them in the plastic sleeves. I've got the, they're, I won't call them flimsy, but they're not the hard, uh, stiff plastic ones either. I do recommend getting it as close to the size of your uh, art piece as possible, but don't get it so tight that it's hard to slide them in and out of. Um, I've noticed that it shows sometimes, man, it takes me forever to try to get one of those prints inside one of those plastic sleeves. But once they're in there, they're in there. It takes a little uh, little bit of doing and, and a little extra time to slide those things in there. Um, and if you put them in there before you sell them, uh, you have to pull them out. And then, you know, if they want it signed. So it's up to you if you want to pre-sleeve you know, them or not. If you're going to have the prints just sitting out on your table, I definitely recommend getting the harder, you know, spend a few extra bucks and get the harder sleeves. Uh, that way you can also have them standing up on your uh, table and inside some kind of, you know, shelving system or racking system. It's so much better if you have things going, you know, vertical, you know, up on your table as opposed to just laying flat on your table. Uh, as people walk by, they can see them better. Careful, that's my sculpture. And I don't mean mine and I bought it. I mean, I made it. It's my sculpture. Put it on the table. 
it's always nice to have a few things laying flat on your table, but the more stuff you can get up where people can see them from across the room uh, or as they're walking by, the better. You're working with a professional here! You definitely want one, a, uh, either a flat portfolio or a zipper portfolio or a hard uh, sleeve for original art sales, uh, either if you're selling or buying. People will pay big money for this, right, Grace? Uh, trust me, you're really going to need that uh, just walking around the, the con to keep it from getting crushed or bent or put, being able to put it in your suitcase to travel home. So that's your tip for the day. Back to my uh, reply to Tony. I had used Kinko's a few times back in the day for some prints, but was mostly getting mine through where Antonio Johnson works over off of a Democrat near the airport. Or Dave Beatty would have them made up in Arizona for when we were at West Coast shows. The only person around here I've seen make any money off of prints is uh, an artist named Eric Von Haas, and that's at ShadowCon. I don't think I've ever seen him set up at a table. Uh, he does the promo art for the con, so they let him walk around the show and sell prints, usually out of a Kiko's box. Hey, come here! Come on! Hey, come here! You got something good for you. Come on! Come on! But that's a smaller show, so I really have no clue how many prints he sells at the con or what he considers successful. I'm seeing artists struggling all over, but this area does seem really hard to make any money off of art. <clears throat> and what money? Don't you believe in my work? I've definitely had my fair share of bad business dealings, some with folks who just weren't great at it, others who were just out to screw over others. <sighs> all right, let's get down to business. You're right. I got a card around here somewhere. Here, here. Who do I have to kill? Avoided one of those in Metropolis who was claiming to be an art rep. The guy's a total scammer, and I'm glad I didn't hook up with him. Don't even say his name. You don't want his help. He does not work well with others. Also glad that we weren't approached by Action Lab to sign with them. That's a hot mess, however you look at it. It's all in the handbook. I'm trying to get back into doing more art, but I'm getting slower and just haven't felt creative for the last few years especially this last one. But I must express myself. I've got a couple projects on the back burner I need to get done and just out there. Hoping folks can start getting together more after the holidays. Would be nice to have cons back and events like Free Comic Book Day again. The MSCA's 35th anniversary is next year, so it'd be great to do some things to celebrate that. <laughs> Go ahead. Make my millennium. <laughs> Nice typing with you. Best of luck. Glad I could say anything that helps. Ah, now, let's turn on the juice and see what shakes loose. The conversation definitely got me thinking again about what do I want to do with my art? I've discussed a few group options for 2022 with some of the MSCA members on Zoom calls and through emails, but I really don't know what I want to do personally. I'm slowly getting inspired again. Well, inspired is a bit of a strong word. Let's say I'm starting to gain interest in being more creative. Yeah, interest is a better way to describe it. I could start sculpting again. You know I'm only truly happy when I'm sculpting. That's a very good idea. That'll be um, <clears throat> very time-consuming. A lot of what I or the group can or can't do is going to continue to depend on the state of the world and if and when the COVID situation is truly in our rearview mirror. Any minute now. 
If it wasn't for the pandemic going on almost two years now, who knows what might have been done creatively or not. This podcast definitely was born out of the pandemic, so more than likely I, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. With that being said, let's get into some Mid-South Cartoonist Association news and what is currently happening with it and some of our MSCA members. We recently had our October Zoom meeting on Tuesday, October 5th. Kevin Williams, Kevin Thorne, Dale Martin, and myself discussed some ideas for the MSCA's 35th anniversary. The whorehouse was my idea. A lot of what we discussed will be determined by our ability to meet in person, but we did have a few ideas for an upcoming zine and some possible online projects. If and when we get together again at Garibaldi's on the first Tuesday of the month, we all agreed we'd love to see us do more napkin doodles and jam pieces like we did in the past. Also, possibly doing some group sketchbooks. We also talked about doing another art show and other art events like Free Comic Book Day, Zine Fest, Monster Market, Crafts and Drafts, and more around town. Which reminds me, Dale Martin has been very busy with his Watusi comic and is part of this year's online Monster Market, with such items as his Monster Melee mini-comic, and will be an artist vendor at the Memphis Flyers Crafts and Drafts on November 13th. Oh, and the Monster Market runs through October 31st, so through Halloween. He mentioned that this year he's been doing a number of prints focused on Memphis's musical legacy, and the next two he plans to debut at the November event will spotlight storied recording studios Stacks and Ardent. Dale also mentioned that Arrow Creative celebrated the grand opening of their new location in September, and Dale is one of the inaugural group of artists in that shop. He said it's a great-looking space located just off of Central at 653 Philadelphia Street in the Midtown area, and they're open Thursdays 10 to 4 and 10 to 6 on Fridays and Saturdays. The shop has a wide variety of goods, including art, jewelry, soap, hot sauce, and more, all from Memphis creators. Hey, there goes Elvis! Yo, King! According to their website, arrowcreative.org, Arrow Creative is a nonprofit organization which serves to make art accessible to inspire the creative spirit within everyone. They are an organization unique to our community given that they bridge two audiences, creative entrepreneurs and consumers. Oh, by the way, Nikki and I were in Midtown a few weeks ago uh, when we both had a day off, and after spending some time at the zoo and having lunch at Hattie B's, we swung by the Nerd Alert Arcade near Cooper and Young, across from First Congo Church, and around the corner from 901 Comics. They have a gift shop up front, which carries some local comic titles such as Memphis and Stone Ninja, and a lot of t-shirts and other cool, weird strange, unusual items. I dug it. Live people ignore the strange and unusual. But they also have a lot of older vintage arcade games in the back. Boy, oh boy, this place just gets weirder and weirder. 
it was it was like a, a time machine for me and, and being you know back in high school again. It was really really cool. Galaxian and Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Man and you know all those from like the 80s. It was, it was awesome. I was told you can play all day for ten dollars. I've also seen online that you can reserve Nerd Alert for special events like birthdays, and they just celebrated their one-year anniversary in Memphis as well, so congrats to them. Paint Memphis and Team Jetta have been at it again downtown. This year, Kevin Williams, DeMarco Randall, Anakin, Janet, and Martheus Wade, plus many other artists have been adding many more murals around Memphis. By the time this episode airs, they should be finished with all their paintings. Uh, go to paintmemphis.org to find out more about the annual event, or check out our MSCA website or Facebook page to see what they created and where it's located downtown. I've actually gotten some artwork completed. I've finished sketch cards for the Halloween trick-or-treat set being offered by RR Parks Cards. I've done work on several sets for them in the past, and this was another fun one to be a part of. At least someone's life hasn't been upheaved. They currently have passed their Kickstarter goal for their 8th annual Halloween trading card event and have a few days left on that campaign. Just go to rrparkscards.com or go to Kickstarter and just do a search for RR Parks Cards. Holy Halloween! I also finished another sketch cover. Why so slow? This one is a Star Wars comic with a wraparound Grogu cover. This is the way. You may know the little green guy or girl, as Baby Yoda from Disney's The Mandalorian TV series. Makes no difference to me. I've got it and several other sketch covers and sketch cards for sale at the cellar off of Bartlett Boulevard near Stage Road and Bartlett Park. Don't touch anything. You can find contact info for the shop through their site at comiccellaronline.com. Please allow me to give you a portion of the reward. Last winter, while dealing with the uh, snowpocalypse, I talked with Sal Abenanti about his Kickstarter for the Hostage graphic novel. You're a busy man these days. Yeah, you know, Kickstarter is a lot of work. I didn't know, I've never done it before. And I wasn't real comfortable with it, but I really wasn't after the money as much as I just wanted to, to be able to get the word out more effectively, more efficiently. But with Kickstarter, I wasn't comfortable asking people to give money because it's, a, it's tough times and it's, you know... It's crazy with COVID, but I, I just wanted to get the word out. And if it didn't go well, I was like, fine. But I just wanted to at least give it as, as professional a polish as I could. And it's, it's worked out great. And David Daub about his Little Deaths book. Well, before we get, uh, get going, I need to ask you, how do you pronounce your last name? Is it Daub? Daub. Okay, yeah. cool. I, wasn't, I thought so. Just wanted, just wanted to be sure. Oh, yeah, no, if I had a dollar for every time I got asked it or got messed up, I could fund my own comics. Happy to say that their Kickstarters were not only successfully funded, but I've got those books in hand now. I haven't had a chance to read them yet, but I flipped through them, and, and man, they both look great. And I appreciate all the add-ons. If you support even a dollar, now you get the Alex Ross card, because it's important. And to me, if people donate a dollar or they donate whatever, I'm cool with it. I don't see it as donating. I see it as the support that I'm getting for this. I'm cool with it. I thank everybody. You you support me with a with a buck. Uh -huh. And I'm and I'm like I'm over the moon. If you're thinking about doing a Kickstarter or other crowdfunding campaign for your project, 
I definitely recommend checking out those episodes, as well as the Dave Twanch and Steve Bryant ones for their Kickstarters. All right, so this Kickstarter you're talking about is The Broken Circle, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a second part, which is also another thing where like, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to kickstart the first one, and that's going to be good. But then you're going back to the well on a second volume. Is that like, are people like, eh, we already gave you our money. You should be mm-hmm. making this. Or is it cool? And then if it is the second part, did you lose people that didn't see the first part? And, oh, this is, this is what's going on in my mind right now, and I'm freaking out. So, uh, Steve, I'd like to thank you for uh, joining me here on Drawing Funny. And uh, uh, I've been hearing a lot about this new Kickstarter you got going on for Athena Voltaire. And it's the, uh, the Orient Express is the setting. Yeah. You know, I, I, I like doing the, uh, you know, globetrotting aviatrix adventures, you know, racing against time kind of things. But it's, it's kind of fun instead of her racing to stop some kind of apocalyptic event. At the beginning of the, of the story, she's trying to catch up with an old friend, and the apocalyptic event comes to her in this enclosed space. So, yeah, it, it was kind of fun to to switch up the, with the book. You know, uh, when um, Robert Kirkman did his manifesto, what 10, 12 years ago, talking about you know there's gold in the Thar Hills with image in talking to like Marvel creators and DC creators and stuff that, you know, the numbers you need to sell at image or, or whatever are significantly lower to be able to make what you make at Marvel and, and stuff like that. And I wonder if by the same token, crowdfunding is a similar endeavor. Well, I think it's, it's kind of cool that too, that Kickstarter, you know, it's not just comics, it's a little bit of everything as far as just whatever project. Cause I know my wife is backed like a uh, Winona Earp Blu-ray DVD thing, and that's kind of yeah. how they, they funded funded that show. Oh, and speaking of crowdfunding from back then, I also got my signed Batman photo and digital download from the Batman Dying is Easy fan film. By Bat in the Sun. I gotta get me one of those. Uh, looks really, really cool. Also, my, uh, my name was added to the credits, so that's kind of kind of cool. I've got credits in the Batman fan film. Yay. Boys and girls, go back to your studies. Believe me, nothing in life is free. Also received my Rock Sugar Kickstarter collector coins and download codes for their first album, Reimaginator, and their latest album, Reinventinator. Reinventinator? Reinvent... It's, it's easier to listen to than say... Jess and the boys have done another amazing smash mashup album. I highly recommend them both. Okay. Recently, I've been hearing and reading a lot about problems with Action Lab Entertainment. What's going on? I don't know. I'll go find out. I've read articles and heard some podcast interviews, and I honestly don't know what to make of the situation. I didn't want to bring it up. But rather than have you stumble onto it and make another mistake, I'll tell you. I met a few of the Action Lab co-founders through Comic Geek Speak years ago, and I know a few creators who were on board with the comics publisher. The folks I knew at Action Lab, both staff and creators, are either no longer with the company or are trying to leave the company and sever ties. I want out for good. I don't know the exact dates on when events happened or when they left the company or exactly why. Just what I've, I've seen and, and you know, heard and read online. The details are irrelevant. I know they seem to have started the company with the best of intentions. 
but after recent news and interviews, as a company, I haven't decided if they just became less trustworthy, were juggling too much, and just became overwhelmed. Maybe they were misguided. Maybe they had personality conflicts. Or were they just that stupid? Honestly, it's it's really hard to figure it all out. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Excuse me! What? I'm hearing a lot of hearsay from many folks on both sides, and both in the company and those signed by the company. I'm really blown away that so many creatives signed contracts that tied up their publishing and option rights, and that many of them didn't pay attention to the red flags all around them or possible breach of contract incidences that were occurring. But Barbara, honey, it's too late. We have to go through with this. I always say, don't forget to get any business dealings in writing. But let me also state, don't sign any contracts without a lawyer looking at it first. Even if you think you understand the legalese, have someone else review it. A few hundred for a lawyer is much cheaper than spending thousands to get your rights back. This thing reads like stereo instructions. Now, I get a lot of people are going to make mistakes. I've made a ton of them. But the fact that so many got into things like comics thinking they're going to hit the lottery, you know, either as a publisher signing up as many potential golden ticket titles and creators as they could, or creators thinking getting signed is the answer to all their publishing problems. I'll make the presentation. Finding out about so many who didn't do the research of comics publishing just boggles my mind. I mean, seriously, when it comes to comics publishing, if you make me look like I know what I'm doing, you're doing it wrong. Also, can you do it? It'll be tricky, but I think I can handle it. No! Look, Dave, Micah, and I self-published Bushy Tales, and we're able to get it carried by Diamond for three issues before it all went down, and that's that's like a whole other story. Just, can you give me the basics? It took time, money, hustle, and help from retailers to get us there, but we did it without a publisher. See, we can do this stuff on our own. Do I wish we had a publisher behind us? Sure. Would have taken some of the work off of our plate and some of the financial strain. Good idea. But there's no way we would have signed away our rights to those characters, or being able to take the property elsewhere if there was a breach of contract. Say, being repeatedly late or not publishing the book at all? I'm sorry for the delay. I recently had a conversation about Action Lab with someone who's been doing comics for over 20 years, and they kept referring to Action Lab as a distributor. I had to explain that they were a, quote, publisher, unquote. And honestly, from what I'm reading and seeing online and hearing from others, they haven't been a very good one lately. Diamond, Penguin Random House, Luna, DCBS, Heroes World, Capital, Cold Cuts, and others were and are distributors. Not Action Lab. That fact took a bit to sink in. But, baby, do you have a pen? Maybe we can... Oh, I know. You can play charades. I told them... If they raised the money to print the books, like through Kickstarter, then they were their own publisher. They were just paying Action Lab for the use of their diamond account and brand. How did you guess? With Action Lab being constantly late, incommunicado, and not following through on a lot of things, that's putting them in a position of being guilty by association with the retailers and the readers. And if Kickstarter or other crowdfunding campaigns were used, I could put them on the hook for returning the money to their own backers. 
plus pay the taxes and or fees, and the chance at being turned down for any future fundraising by that crowdfunding company. Especially Kickstarter. They don't play around. Hey guy. Not to mention all of the ill will from fans and the folks that order your books at the retailers. You as a creator are the face of your campaign, not the company publishing, printing, or distributing your books. You're raising the money. You're the publisher. To me, it just sounds like Action Lab was a middleman. That's just my opinion. Why pay someone to be a publisher or even middleman between you and the printer and or distributor if they aren't going to do the legwork to get your books out there? Especially if you can and or have been doing it on your own in the past. You have got to take the upper hand in all situations or people, whether they are dead or alive, will walk all over you. The fact that there was so much miscommunication and or lack of communication, again, is just staggering. I can't believe they didn't tell us. Okay, let me just say, I'm not personally involved with what's been happening at Action Lab or any other publishers. And I certainly ain't no lawyer. I've never read one of their contracts or one of the Action Lab handbooks they give creators that they sign. It's all in the handbook. If you want to know more, oh, uh, going to need to look on the interwebs. This is all the info I've got. Take the handbook and go to the sixth door. I guess I'm just saying that if you want to get into the business of creating and selling comics, learn more about the business end of it and never assume that all you have to do is create, and someone else will not only handle the rest, but will always have your best interests in mind. It just doesn't work like that. Never trust the living. I love collaboration. Hey, hermano. But even when collaborating with friends, I've learned that it's tough to maintain that creative relationship, especially when you throw business uh, into it. Why do you know how to pick them? I've got one marriage, and I don't want to juggle another or jeopardize this one. Excuse me. Sure. Am I overstepping my bounds? Just tell me. Come on. I'm not trying to trash talk Action Lab or anybody associated with them, uh, either creators or, you know, staff. I just hate seeing situations like this in comics publishing. It's bad enough when the, the big two do their, you know, work for hire uh, things with artists and writers. It's just, it's disheartening. We can't lose! I'm sure there are a lot of folks out there that may not want to discuss this situation, uh, either because of any possible litigation that might happen or is happening, or because they just want to put it all behind them. But if you are someone who wants to talk about it, either in a historical record sense of how things went down, uh, or as a cautionary tale of what not to do, or just to get your side heard, you have an open invitation to come on this show, either an hour after it's all settled. I do think it's important to share our successes to inspire others who want to create, but sometimes I think it's almost more important to share our mistakes and or failures so that others can avoid making the same, or at least be aware of the possible comics landmines that are out there. I'll go first, honey. Oh, and by the way, if you're wondering what's up with all the Beetlejuice stuff in this episode... Nobody says the B-word. Well, it's also uh, not only the anniversary of this show this month, but it's mine and Nikki's wedding anniversary as well. 
It's 10 years this month that she and I have been married, and I propose to her as Beetlejuice. Come on, come on. Look, you think of it as a marriage of inconvenience, okay? We both get something, I get out. You get to say you're hitched to the most eligible bachelors in Valentino came over. We're even, babe. And she said yes. So, thanks, babe, for for always being there for me and uh, for, you know, for being with me for 13 years now and 10 legally. Oh, and a happy anniversary from the ghost with the most, babe. <laughs> Save that guy for later. That's it for this anniversary episode. Uh, be sure to check out my show notes for any links and uh, other info, and give a listen to some of the previous Drawing Funny episodes. Lots of info to be had in them, and some fun comics conversations. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions, feel free to contact me. Well, how do we contact you if we need you again? My email address is podcast at drawingfunny.com, or you can reach me through my social media accounts. Sure, talk amongst yourself. I hope to have more discussions on sketch cards, working with markers, and more creator interviews soon. I'm always looking for future guests, so if you'd like to talk about your art projects on the show, please shoot me an email at that address, or just, again, reach out through social media. Always love hearing about tune tips or having a good comics conversation with creators. I'll see you in a few weeks, okay? Okay. Till next time, stay tuned. an MSA podcast. You can find out more about the Mid-South Cartoonists Association at midsouthcartoonists.org and on the MSCA Facebook page. Be sure to like that page and follow our group on Twitter at MSCA underscore Memphis and on Instagram at Mid-South Cartoonists. You can keep up with this show at any of those or on the show site drawingfunny.com as well as on Twitter at drawingfunny1 Drawing Funny with the number one, or Instagram at Drawing Funny Pod. Links and other info can be found in the show notes of each episode at drawingfunny.com. Shameless plug for me, I have my Lynn Workman, that's L I N Workman.com art site, and my geek travel blog and webcomic, HaveGeekWillTravel.com. My social media info and bio are on all those sites, along with several examples of my artwork. Thanks for listening. I hope to talk tunes with you all again real soon. Until then, stay tuned and keep drawing funny. Moan louder. You kids and your imagination.